Welcome back to Redline, a millennial tale of passionate love in the combative workplace set in Boston. Hop on board for the next episode of Pia's Tale here on Redline. The next Redline train to Alewife is now In less than 24 hours with the real rod, not the texting rod, some warning lights were going off in my head. He had flashed his money and gobbled his food at Bobolis, and now he was prowling the sports store like an important person entitled to service. A young salesman followed him about, answering his curt questions on merchandise, until we reached the wall of basketballs. So tell me about these. Which one do you recommend? Well, it, uh, it all depends on what kind of use it's going to get and how much you want to spend. We want the cheapest, I said. Now, honey, wait till we get a little information. Don't forget I'm going to be playing too. This Nike's a good all-around ball, the clerk said, taking down the Nike and handing it to Rod. Hey, and it's not much more than a Spalding, Pia. What do you say? Fine. Naturally, he insisted on paying and added in a pump. Plus, he bought expensive basketball sneakers for himself. You sure you don't want some? You're the one who's really going to need them. She's a coach, he told the clerk. Awesome, the clerk said. Hardly, I protested. But Pia, you're their leader, and showing up to practice in the right outfit goes a long way to building confidence. My sneakers are fine. Your choice. So, let's go shoot some baskets. We had the elementary school playground to ourselves. Rod put me through the drills he remembered from high school, but I was definitely more interested in watching him dribble around the court and shoot baskets than I was in trying to improve my skills. I would never be able to do what he was doing. Bouncing the ball at high speed through his legs and behind him to outwit his opponent, which was me, the leaden figure, letting it all happen. Whoosh after whoosh through the net. But he was happy to show off, and I was happy to admire his one-arm shots from half-court, What an image. His feet a whole foot from the ground and his lean height poised in midair. I loved that core of his body. When his workout finished, he came over to me, wiping his brow with his t-shirt. I'm remembering how much I love this sport. Thank you, Pia, for bringing it back to me. (laughs) You're awesome. But we were here for you, not me. I'm, I'm sorry, honey. Don't worry. I learned how to coach just watching you. And by the way, I love your body. He pirouetted in gratitude. Thanks. I like hearing that. And don't worry. We'll have you in shape by November. We'll watch some videos. We headed across the court with our arms around each other. Then Rod stopped and kicked his new sneaker against a long, jagged crack sprouting weeds and grass. (sighs) See this? This is what happens to cement surfaces. They don't last. They crack. But they're cheap, so everybody uses them. The city needs to attack this stuff with weed killer. I hope they don't. Roundup's toxic. Pfft, all that crap about Roundup being bad hurts my business. And besides, the EPA said it's safe. It's carcinogenic. It gets in our crops and our groundwater. The thing about you environmentalists is you're actually hypocrites. You pick your causes but live your lives just the way you want. You take airplanes, drive cars, run air conditioners. I don't have AC. I couldn't live without it. And what about your car? You use AC in your car, don't you? Yes, I conceded. Mainly on the highways. So there, you like life the way it is because industry makes it that way. All for your comfort. But I don't seek comfort, and I have a small carbon footprint. 
Global warming's our biggest problem, and it's our problem, Rod. Our generations. Ugh. Global warming's part myth. So far, there's been no scientific evidence that it exists, or let's say that it's man-made. What? Scientists are unanimous, e- even before I was born. Well, in my opinion, it's overstated. No, it's not, Rod. Burning fossil fuels and everything else we do on a humongous level is like wrapping a blanket around the planet. Who told you that? The newspaper? What's your source? Fox TV? I hate Fox. Well, you sound like Fox when you say global warming isn't man-made. I'm just saying I'm not convinced. And I've done plenty of reading on the subject. The way I see it, climate has always changed over the millions of years we can track it. It's natural that it changes. We're just in one of those warming phases. I, I can't believe you're saying that. It's the Republican line telling us the flood in the Bible is the same kind of climate change we're experiencing now and that it wasn't man-made. No, I, I mean that scientists are distorting things for political reasons. It's just the opposite. It's the big, greedy corporations paying lobbyists to distort the truth so that they can keep their fortunes. Shell, Exxon, Mobil, they don't care if their greed kills life on Earth. Their own kids and grandkids... We've inherited a disaster to clean up unless we want to go extinct. Give it 50 years and we'll see it was just a phase. I got into the driver's seat and shut the door hard. I wanted to drive away without him. How could he have such ignorant views? He got in on his side and shut the door quietly, as if to demonstrate the difference in how we handled our emotions, mine being out of control and his maintaining calm. But to me, it was a passive-aggressive tactic. I knew he felt just as furious and bent on winning as I did. My words came out in a torrent. We don't have 50 years to make excuses. We're seeing hurricanes and droughts, fires, melting ice, rising oceans. You shouldn't be a denier. I'm not a denier. You are if you say climate change isn't man-made. I say it's still a debate. The science isn't in. I stopped talking because it was pointless. We were arguing in circles. Worse, I couldn't fathom having a boyfriend who denied climate change. How could I introduce him to my friends if he uttered such views? But I was also newly in love. The night before Under the Covers was fresh in my mind. I didn't want to break up over climate change. I forced myself to simmer down while driving down Main Street, now congested with weekend shoppers. The world felt swirly and unreal. Rod's voice floated over to me, almost inaudibly. Are we still going to my house for lunch? It was as if he was asking if we were still going out or calling it quits. Yes, that's fine, I said, staring straight ahead. Then take a right at the next light. His hand crept over my thigh like a peace pipe, and I knew how much courage it took to be the first one to reach out. He even added a few words to his offering. I'm not a political person, Pia, and I'm open to learning more about climate change. Wow, I thought. He was willing to change his view. I touched his hands and instantly our hands clasped, relieved to have our bonds restored. It had never occurred to me to ask him what political party he belonged to since all my friends were Democrats. As if reading my mind, he said, I'm an independent. I hate the way the two sides go at each other. They care more about winning party battles than passing legislation that actually helps the country. Well, at least we can agree on that. Take your next left and then go about a mile. I felt warm again and smiled at him. You're my guy. Do you love me? It was like a bulldoze, a challenge, but 
Since I wanted to keep the peace after our first big fight, I gave him what he wanted. Yes, I love you. He put my hand on his lap. This is what happens when you say those words, he said, looking content. I gave him a squeeze and returned my hand to the wheel. And I kept my smile in place so he wouldn't think I was withdrawing for a lack of love, but... The truth was, I was still recovering from our clash and wondering what else he might believe about the world. In the meantime, I could send him a few articles about global warming and other social issues that mattered to me. Immigration, healthcare, women. All he needed was information. Take your next left at the sign, he said, and I turned at the huge, gold-embossed sign that said in scripted letters, Meadowlands. Its style was intended to brandish class, but its effect was just the opposite. These developments with hideous mega-mansions on former farmlands had sprouted up all over the country. I steered the car along the development's blacktop drive that passed enormous frame and brick houses. The winding drive connected the mansions, which sat on manicured, sometimes hilly lots, but like the houses, the landscaping lacked character, as if trees and bushes had been plunked down here and there because that's what a house needed out front. The effect was sterile, vacuous fake. I parked in front of Rod's sprawling frame monstrosity, my car looking extra shabby next to his grand porticoed entrance. As we got out of the car, he pointed to the four-car garage where his black truck was parked, the white Tucker paving emblem on the driver's door. I'm gonna install a basketball hoop right over there. Then we can play on a smooth tarmac, no cracks. Please don't do that for me. We can use the school's gym. I don't want you to spend money like that. But I like to spend money, as long as it's for a good purpose. And now that I think about it, there's a great spot on the side of the house for a half court. He put his arms affectionately around me and swayed. I'm not in the paving business for nothing. You know what, Pia? I don't have a problem paying for us. Can we talk openly for a minute? I nodded, not keen about talking money, but he was right. It was best to get our differences out in the open and be done with them. Okay, so... We both know I have a lot more money than you, but we also know you work just as hard as me, maybe even harder. It's not your fault teaching comes with a smaller paycheck than my work. And even if you sell paintings, it wouldn't be regular. You couldn't depend on that for income. I consider us equal, so I don't want you to worry about me spending on us. Okay? I was feeling small and insignificant. Money had that kind of effect. It, it classified you. I'll try, and and thanks, Rod. I, I think you're really generous. It's just that I, as a woman, I need to pay my way. And my way has limits the way yours doesn't. I know all that, and I totally respect how you feel, but I want us to do lots of things together and really enjoy life. So let me pay. I nodded, though I wasn't convinced, but... Since the money issue was now settled for Rod, he stepped happily away to let us in the front door. Cool, dark air greeted me. It made me think how these new mansions never let sunlight stream in. Maybe their grand windows were tinted. Or maybe their emphasis on interior decoration, like oversized leather furniture, elaborate fixtures, and gleaming black floors, turned the world inward. As if those man-made surfaces and gaudy materials were worth more attention than the natural world outside. In houses like Rod's, it took layers to reach the natural world. First came the opulent patio with its barbecue pool and hot tub, enclosed by a high property wall beyond which rose New England's incredible woods. I felt Rod at my side, seeing the place through my eyes, 
He was silent, waiting, and I struggled to keep an open mind, but I was a stranger in this fabricated world. We proceeded along a wide, marbled hallway to his bedroom. This is where I sleep, he said. And I hope you'll sleep here with me sometimes. I stared at the bed, wondering why it looked so high up, like a, a throne on a grand platform. A satin ebony spread with matching cushions deprived it of personality. No, I couldn't imagine little humans occupying such grandeur. The master bath, which came next, had a walk-in shower with luscious aqua tiles that I really liked. Next to it was a kidney-shaped jacuzzi that looked brand new. It sparkled so. A long, gleaming red counter held his and her sinks. I stared down at the impeccable red material and wondered if Rod ever brushed his teeth or shaved there. It's enameled lava stone. From France. <laughs> Best countertop in the world. I tried to think of nice things to say, but inside I was all resistance, and at the same time, I knew that some of my resistance was to the temptation of luxury, but ugh, it was awful. We passed on into his and her closets, side by side, each one the size of a bedroom. Only Rod's closet had clothes. Mine was waiting for occupancy. How is it possible for one human life to occupy all this space? Then... My eye caught sight of a rifle on the shelf above Rod's clothes. What's that? Oh, um, that's my dad's hunting gun. He gave it to me as an heirloom. I, I couldn't say no, but, but don't worry, sweetie. I never use it. Is it loaded? Mmm, not sure. <sighs> Listen, Pia, you have to understand my family. They were rural. They were farmers. They hunted for their food. My dad taught me how to hunt too, but I, I never took to it. A anyway, I, I want to give the damn thing back, but I also don't want to hurt his feelings. A and I support gun control, obviously. I didn't know what to say. It would take me a while to digest the news that Rod owned a gun. How do you keep this place clean? Some girls come. Girls? Where are they from? I don't know. I guess across the border. <sighs> right. Your luxurious lifestyle for a single person means underpaid immigrant labor to keep it spotless. He showed me the garage last, and it was the way he had described in his text. Paving supplies at one end, motorcycles in one of the stalls, and a lot of recreational equipment hanging from the walls. Including a kayak. I stared at two strange-looking vehicles, buggy-like, parked with his motorcycles. What are those? ATVs. He saw I had no idea what an ATV was. You know, all-terrain vehicles. Toys for grown-ups. You ride them for fun, but I'm planning to sell these. I never use them. Why do you have two? Because Lindsay, my last girlfriend, loved them, so I got one for each of us. When we split, I told her she could take hers, but she was so pissed off at me, she just stomped away in a huff. That was Lindsay, a real tigress. This was the first time he had told me about Lindsay. When did you two break up? About a year ago. We lasted 18 months. I found out she liked fun way too much. Bars, parties, and unfortunately, other guys. It takes time to know people. Rod plunged on about Lindsay, his face contorting with disgust. It really grossed me out when we were making love and she'd say, Give it to me, baby. God, I don't want to hear that. Neither did I. It made me feel like I was in bed with a prostitute. Uh, who knows? 
Maybe lots of women think that way, even if they don't say it. Ugh. It was definitely a turnoff for me. But Lindsay had other problems. She drank too much, and she strayed. For the last six months we were together, she was sleeping with the Jewish guy down the street. Whenever we passed each other in our cars, little Mike always gave me a squinted look, and I gave him the same look back. Hell, he could have her. Funny thing is, after I threw her out, he didn't take her in. But why did you put up with Lindsay sleeping with your neighbor for six months? And why did you call him Jewish and little Mike? And throwing her out sounds sexist. Why are you attacking me? I'm not attacking you, I'm just asking. Because calling your neighbor little Mike and identifying him as Jewish isn't PC. I guess I have to be super careful with everything I say around you. Or anyone. Do you really think that way about your neighbor? I hate his guts, and it has nothing to do with him being Jewish. My best friend in college was Jewish, Steve Weinstein, so that should answer your question. I'm not a bad person, Pia. I know you're not. I know you're a good person. It's just that some of the things you say startle me. But my words were mild in comparison to what I was really thinking, which was, he sounded like a redneck. And probably the word redneck wasn't PC either. I saw his downcast face and felt guilty for ruining his anticipation of showing me his pride and joy, his, his home, his life. He waved a defeated arm at the last garage slot that housed his silvery SUV, and then he led us back into the house through a windowless corridor with several utility rooms. We entered the gigantic kitchen that adjoined a den with a bar. A chrome cappuccino maker sat on a table like a square strong box. <sighs> so much stuff. I couldn't accept it. The world was full of poverty, suffering, and violence. We saw it in the news every day. Rod's lifestyle forgot about that world. Surroundings like his were predicated on self-indulgence. I admired that he had created a successful business and was passionate and ambitious about his work, but I didn't like how he lavished money on personal extravagances. Maybe he could change. Maybe he didn't really need all this showy stuff. One thing was becoming clear to me during our first weekend together, though, and that was that my powerful attraction might soon extinguish if I had to deal with his value system every minute. He seemed to read my thoughts and came up close to tentatively put his arms around me, not sure of his reception. His voice wavered and made me feel instantly guilty. He was just a person trying to impress his new girlfriend. I, I didn't grow up like you. Getting a place like this was symbolic for me. Proof I'd achieved something. But I don't need to keep it. It's too big for one person. If the two of us continue, and I hope we do, we can look for something smaller. I like how you live, Pia. Simply. Just the basics. That's what I want, too. I'm done with this. It's not what makes me happy. Love is what makes me happy. He smiled into my eyes, faint hope lighting their pale blue-gray. His words affected me. They were exactly what I needed to hear in order to keep going in our fledgling relationship, I slid my arms around him. We kissed, and the magic was still there. Wait a sec, he said softly, and went to the stereo that played through speakers in every room. I have a song for us. A few seconds later, Buffalo Springfield's sweet notes filled the air. I got a good reason for loving you. <laughs> Rod sallied over to me, singing along. He circled my waist with his arms, leaned his forehead against mine, and slow danced. 
His lips wore a tender smile as he said, I think of you when I play this song. A few minutes later, we inaugurated his throne bed, and he was chirpy and happy after that, like a dewy-faced, tousle-haired boy. Our new love had been consummated in his own space. Strangely, I felt completely free of worries as I lay on his king-size bed, breathing the mansion's artificial air. Money brought safety. Thank you for listening to Episode 5 of Redline. Redline is written by G.D. Spillsbury and narrated by Anna Gravel, directed and produced by Fred Greenhalge, with assistant producer Grace Waldron. Redline is dedicated to Jim Cantor and Brooke Lambert. If you've enjoyed this Redline story, please tell your friends about us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews allows us to get more listeners, like yourself, so we can keep bringing you good stories. Learn more about Redline at redlinepodcast.com. That's redlinepodcast.com. Dot com.